to thank Sam for the words of welcome. It's good to be back with you, sharing fellowship again in Shiloh, a place of love, coming over many, many years now. And it's always good to renew fellowship with the saints of God in this corner of the vineyard and to break bread with you this morning. A great privilege indeed. Now we're turning in the Word of God to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. 22nd chapter of Luke's Gospel, and we're going to take time to read down from verse 7 down to verse 20 as we come to the fifth of probably 10 or 11 messages in our little series this morning. And while you turn to Luke 22, verse 7, I'd like to thank those who prayed for us the last time we were here. We were just about to embark on the outreach for Gospel Mission, and we Thank you for your prayers and we thank the Lord for one who came to know the Lord Jesus Christ through that effort and also for another man who has been deeply troubled and we pray even yet that he will come through for the Lord. And then this week, just gone there Monday to Friday, we had a great time of prophecy meetings over in Milford and the Lord was so present and so gracious and while they were ministry meetings, so many unsafe people also came in through the doors and we thank the Lord for that. So I think tonight I'm ready to hibernate, but that's a different matter. But we'll turn to the Word of God this morning in Luke chapter 22 and verse 7. And the reason for reading this will be, apparently then came the the day of unleavened bread, and of course that's Passover time, when the Passover must be killed. And every Jew across the world will be celebrating the Passover on Saturday. And we'll be doing a demonstration in Milford on Friday night. Anybody who can get along will be most welcome. But the Passover must be killed then. He sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber, where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. When the hour was come, he sat down, and the twelve with him. And he said unto them, With desire have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took the cup, gave thanks, and said, This, take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. He took bread and gave thanks, and break it. And give unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. And leave it there, and we know that the Lord will bless the reading of his own inspired, infallible, inerrant, indestructible, incorruptible, and inexhaustible word of truth. This morning, as I've said, we come to the fifth message in our series, which we've entitled The Person and Work of Christ. Now, it would be traditional in this Sunday to preach 
on something along the Lord's triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. But that's not the way the Lord has led me. And we're looking at this series on the personal work of Christ, but it's timely enough anyway. We've already looked at the theophanies, the traits. We looked at the transfiguration, and last time we looked at the triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ indeed, as he did right in to Jerusalem. And this morning we come to the upper room. And of course we have in the keeping the tea's instigation of the Lord's table or the Lord's supper. And where, among other revelations, the church was given the ceremony ordained by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, as I've said, his supper, which for the purpose of alliteration we're calling his table. And our primary thought, and it's strange maybe subject to be taking up as we've just come from this Lord's Supper, but our primary thought when we come to worship him in his own appointed way, of course, is to see him. And the final week of the Lord Jesus Christ's life starts in John chapter 12. Of course, if you look at John's gospel, how little we really know of the Lord Jesus when you look at it in this way. The first 11 chapters of John's gospel occur right from the birth, right up, but then the, to his life at 33 and a half. But then we come to uh, this John chapter 12 and everything's compacted into one week. And of course, that week is known as Passion Week. The week before the crucifixion, Peter and John were sent to Jerusalem to prepare a Passover. And later, after the Lord and the disciples made their way to the upper room, while they ate the Passover meal, the Lord instituted his supper, which we have just risen from. But I want to remind ourselves some things, because it's easy with familiarity to forget some of these things that I want to bring before our minds this morning. And of course, as we sat at the table this morning, our focus was on Christ, our beloved. The physical communion table, our Lord's table, our Lord's supper, in every church and assembly that I have been in, is inscribed with the words, this do, in remembrance of me. How in Davy's neck, the words, that's not the case in Charlotte Street Baptist Church in Edinburgh. And that's a fantastic church with a great history. It has, in the past, had people like Graham Scroggie and J. Sidlow Baxter and Alden Redpath, all of those great men as former pastors of that church. But on their table, it doesn't say this do in remembrance me, but it has the words of 1 Peter 1, verse 8, whom having not seen, ye love. And I like that this morning. We love him, even though we haven't seen it. And of course, the Lord's Supper is a love feast between the Lord Jesus Christ and his people. And that's what we've celebrated this morning. But it shows forth his death. It points forward to the future, both of which we look at shortly. But it clearly magnifies our beloved's desire to meet his own and to fellowship with his own. And before we examine the the details of the Lord's table or the Lord's Supper, Let us look at the institution and the constitution and the execution of this supper as a revelation to his people in his love. So, as we look at Christ our beloved, the design of our beloved. The design of our beloved, of course, it was the event was designed by him. This was not some haphazard happening. It was not a random event. It just did not happen on the spur of the moment. This was divinely, purposefully The Lord Jesus Christ made the Passover changeover, replacing the Passover with his supper. 
And while on Saturday night the Jews will celebrate it across the world, thank God this morning we can remember the Lord Jesus Christ every week around his own supper. But this act demonstrates who he is. And it was Alexander McLaren says it tells much about his authority. The event was designed by him. But also the evening was designed by him. The Lord Jesus Christ not only chose the place, he not only chose the setting for the supper, he also chose the time and the timing of it. And this is the most special time in the Jewish calendar will be on Saturday when they celebrate the Passover. Saturday coming will be, if you like, their Christmas day. Which, if you remember, I demonstrated it here a number of years ago. It's just so special to them. But it was at that special feast that he instituted the most special time, not for the Jew, but for you and me. This is the pinnacle of our week, the pinnacle of our worship, when we sit down and remember him in his own appointed way. And I really don't need, I really don't know how so many of God's people across this this land easily and routinely and willingly and blatantly ignore it and turn their back on it. I can't get my head around that. But it was the event was designed by him, the evening was, des- was design- designed by him and the experience was designed by him. He simply wanted to be with us all. He wants to be with us every Lord's Day morning. And in Luke 22, verse 14, it says, When the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Surely the Lord's Supper ought to be precious this morning. When we recall of the words of Song of Solomon 1 and verse 12, the king sitteth at his table. He wants to meet with us and to bless us as we remember him. It's precious. But this morning, do I disappoint him by regularly walking away from it? The design of our our beloved. But the desire of our beloved was here because the Passover back in Egypt, if you remember, takes place in haste. They have their sandals on, their staff on their hand, and they're ready to depart. But now on Saturday, they'll make a show of being free and they'll lie back and they'll recline and they'll make a big deal out of eating in a reclining matter. And it was evidenced, of course, by John's position in the Lord Jesus Christ's breast in John 13 and 23. But in this intimate setting, the Lord Jesus says in verse 15, as we've read, and he said unto them, With desire have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. With desire have I desired. The strength of that. He has an individual desire for fellowship. He has the desire for fellowship and he makes it known. And it was not the disciples who arranged it. It was the saviour who arranged that he sent them on. And similarly, <coughs> excuse me, similarly he makes the arrangements and then invites us weekly. He tells us the elements we have to eat and he invites us to come. He has an individual desire for fellowship. He has not only an individual desire for fellowship, he has an intimate desire for fellowship. In his confession, 
We can observe his affection for them. He just seems to be saying, look, I just want to be with you. And it's thrilling, he says to me this morning, I just want to meet with you. How thrilling that is this morning. And what a privilege it is every Lord's Day when we get together around this table and as believers we fellowship one with the other, but more importantly, fellowship with him. How sweet it is. And how easily some people walk away and I say, I can't get my head around that at all. He's an individual desire for fellowship. He has an intimate desire for fellowship. And then he has an intense desire for fellowship. In verse 15, I've pointed out the words desire and desire. And really, when you look at them, what he's saying is a special longing or a special craving to meet together. He's expressing his deep hunger for fellowship with his people. And really this morning, as the Lord really has that desire to fellowship with us, how special that is. And this morning, let us consider Song of Solomon chapter 7 and verse 10. I am beloved, and his desire is toward me. How wonderful and how sweet that is, that his desire is toward the like of me. That's just so wonderful this morning. The design of our beloved, the desire of our beloved. Can you see the delight of our beloved? You see, there's a truth which cannot be avoided. Is the cross is the basis of all fellowship with him. We can't have fellowship with him if we've never been to the cross for saving grace. And in verse 15 we have those words, Before I suffer. Before I suffer. And he delights in the fact of the cross. The psalmist recorded the prophetic utterance of his heart. Regarding his redemptive word in Psalm 40 and verse 8, he says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. We mentioned earlier at the breaking of bread, we mentioned this morning how he, in the garden, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But he submitted himself to the will of the Father and he went and he drank every drop of it. He delighted to do the will of the Father. He delights in the fact of the cross. But this morning we see him as he delights in the fellowship of the cross. Though the broken bread calls, or through the broken bread, our beloved calls to us out of Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 6 How fair and how pleasant art thou, O love for delights. How pleasant he is this morning. How lovely he is. How delightful he is and how wonderful it is just to sit down with him and to remember him and what he has done for us. He delights in the fact of the cross. He delights in the fellowship of the cross and of course he delights in the fullness of the cross and we'll look more at that in a few moments. But he delights to share the fullness of the cross with us. And of course the challenge to each of us is and I know we've all been there and we've sat down this morning and we've remembered him. But will we always, every opportunity we get, share it with our beloved? Christ our beloved. What do you secondly to see Christ our banquet? While he instituted his supper, that we may know him better as our banquet. You see, the elements and procedures reveal him to us, not only as our beloved, but he is our banquet. 
Before I proceed, I need to address some errors here. We all know that the Roman Catholic Church's Church teaches transubstantiation. That is where the elements are the actual body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course that's nonsense. The Lutheran Church, however, does not teach transubstantiation. It teaches consubstantiation. That is that Christ is commuted through the elements. And again, that's nonsense. And some uh, Reformed churches are teach impanation that Christ is received in some sort of spiritual way through the elements. And again, I believe that's nonsense. Also, I'm fully persuaded that the scriptures both teach the bread and wine are both mere symbols of the substance which is Christ. The emblems of what he did this morning. And there's no special blessing in them as what they are themselves. Alfred Gibbs puts it this way. May it be ours to have an ever-increasing appreciation of the wonderful symbolism of the bread and cup. Let us never forget, however, that they were only appointed by the Lord to focus our attention on himself. Our attention has to be on him, not on the bread and the wine that were on the table this morning. So as we see here our banquet, the first thing I want you to see is the body of Christ. We must appreciate the broken body as we come to the table. In Matthew 26 and verse 26, and it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body. He's giving them the bread. We must appreciate the broken body, the body that was broken at the place called Calvary. And their vital lesson set forth in those words as he broke the bread and so on about what took place in the cross. We must appreciate his broken body. We must appropriate his broken body. You see, the bread was given, but it had to be taken. And similarly, by faith, we are to receive and to take to ourselves the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must appropriate. We must take him. We took him at the place called Calvary. We must take him for salvation. Another thing, if we don't take him as saviour, then we cannot partake of these emblems are right and only drinking condemnation unto ourselves. So we must appreciate the broken body, we must appropriate the appropriate of the broken body, and then we must assimilate the broken body because it says the words take eat instruct us to partake. And of course we are to partakers of Christ this morning. We are to be partakers of his life. The moment we came and bowed our knee and cried unto him for his so great salvation, the moment we cried, Lord save me a sinner or some form of words, whatever they were, we took him and we received his life, received abundant life, we received eternal life, we received everlasting life. And so this morning, we, as we consider the bread, as we consider he once said, I am the bread of life. And of course, he is the blameless bread. First Peter 2 and verse 22 he did no sin, and it's the time of unleavened bread. Next, for eight days the Jews will take bread with no leaven in it. Leaven's the picture of sin. He is the blameless, perfect bread. But not only is he blameless bread, the Lord Jesus Christ is brick bread. In Isaiah 53 and verse 7, for example, and we've sang the hymn this morning, Man of Sorrows, oh how he's acquainted with grief. He's blameless bread, he's baked bread. He's also the blessed bread. And uh, Matthew 17 and 5, for example, what are the words of the Father? In whom I am well pleased. 
and he's the broken bread. This is my body. But not only is he blameless bread and baked bread and blessed bread and broken bread, he's the believer's bread because he's the bread of life. In John chapter 6. Oh, as we partake this bread every Lord's day, can we see what we are partaking? It is the body of, represents the body of Christ. But then the cup is there and we come to the blood of Christ. And after partaking of the bread, the Lord Jesus Christ continued the ceremony with Matthew 26 and verse 27. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is the, my blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now as we take the cup, then we may partake the blood of his cross. It was the Prince of Spur- uh, preacher C.H. Spurgeon said, The fruit of the vine or the free-flowing juice of the grape is the picture of Christ's sacrifice, the pouring out of the precious blood of Christ. And so this morning as we partake of of the cup, we are partaking and reminding ourselves of of his cross, the blood of the cross. But we're also partaking of the blood of the covenant. Because as we partake of the fruit of the vine, we're reminded that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is the seal of his better, com- or better covenant. Keep your finger there and look, but turn back with, turn over with me to uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 8, please. Hebrews 8 and verse 6. Hebrews 8 and verse 6. We're thinking partaking of the blood of his covenant. And it says in Hebrews 8 verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. But how much here it is. Also is he the mediator of a better covenant which is established upon better promises. As we come and we take the cup we are partaking of the blood. Yes of his cross and the blood of his covenant. But then we're also taking of the blood of his, of his communion. Because through his precious shed blood there is remission of sin. And we are afforded the special privilege of real communion with our God this morning. And you're in Hebrews 8. Turn over to Hebrews 10 verse 19. Only over, a couple of, over the page. Hebrews 10 19. And it tells us, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness of holiness by the blood of Jesus. And Charles Jedden said, I will be his guest and he shall be mine. And oh, that we would enter into the fullness of these things. And I don't have time to develop these things the way I would like this morning. But the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. But then there's the banner of Christ. In Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse 4, there's a, a verse I love. He brought me into the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. As we come into his banqueting house, every Lord's day, his banner over us is love. He loved us and he gave himself for us. And the the banner of the cross, the banner of his love just waves over us this morning. How he loves us. But there is a command associated as the banner of the cross because coming to this supper is not an optional extra. It's not even an option. The reality is it's a command. We read in Luke chapter 22 verse 19, this do. This do. Not this if you please, or this if you like, or you might come. This do. 
in the remembrance of me. It's beholden on every believer to be here every Lord's Day morning, remembering the Lord. And we were without excuse. The Jews were ordered to keep and celebrate the Passover. Turn away back to Exodus 12 and verse 14, please. It's important, but this is the reason why the Jews will be doing this on Saturday night. Why they will be keeping this Passover. Luke 12, or sorry, Exodus 12, verse 14. And it says, and note the the three things they have to do, which is why they're doing this on Saturday evening. Three things that are here. Exodus 12, verse 14. And it says, And this day shall be unto you for what? A memorial. So they're doing it for a memorial. And ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it. So there, there, it's a memorial. They're keeping it. A feast by an ordinance what? Forever. Not an option for them. And similarly, the Lord Jesus Christ says to you and I, as members of the New Testament church, that weekly this do in remembrance of me. I know we're all here this morning, but let's always resolve to be here every Lord's Day morning. And if there's a believer watching on the internet this morning and you're not remembering the Lord weekly as you should do, it's time to start to be an obedient believer. So there's a command associated there's a commemoration assorted. This do in remembrance of me. There's a remembering. It was Charles Simeon said, The great object for the Jew was the redemption of the people out of Egypt. That which ought to occupy our minds is the infinitely greater redemption, vouchsafed to us through the mediation of, Christ, of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. A greater redemption of our souls at the place called Calvary. And as we came in that door this morning, as we came in and took our seats, was Calvary. Was that the thing that was preoccupying our minds? Or are we just going through the motions? Oh, there's a command associated. There's a commemoration associated. But there's a cause associated with the supper. You see, as we partake of the bread and the wine, what does it tell us? We do show forth the Lord's death till he come. We are demonstrating. We are testifying. We are showing an unsaved world out there. We are showing them that the Lord's death is important. And we're showing them what we commemorate, what it means to us and what he has done for us. And it's important there this morning that we do it. It needs to matter to us. So you've got Christ our beloved. In Christ our banquet. Now come thirdly to Christ our bridegroom. As we come to the Lord's supper and we sit at the Lord's table, his table, his supper, our primary focus is his death. Yes, we are to see him in all things. But the emblems are to remind us of his death. And I have to say, I have sat at many a Lord's supper across the province and I've listened to men and they've brought a lovely word a good word but it's nothing to do with the Lord and it's nothing to do with the death of Calvary when we stand at our feet at this table we must make a byline for the cross one way or another the starting point mightn't be at the cross 
but by hook or crook we've got to get there. The table, the supper, is the gospel in a verse. How could you preach the gospel without getting to the cross? And it's no different at this table, at this supper. We must get to the cross. But as we come, there's a, a forward, also a forward look. Because in 1 Corinthians 11 and 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death till he come. We're looking forward. We've partaken and we've had a lovely sweet fellowship this morning as we partake in the emblems. But it might be the last time. Till he come. Yes, there's the backward look in memorial. But there's the forward look in prophecy to the returning bridegroom. You see this returning bridegroom. They, there are several truths evident in Matthew's account. Turn with me to Matthew 26 please. Time's running on me but we'll get through it as quickly as we can. Matthew 26 and verse 29. Matthew 26 and verse 29 it says, But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it with you, it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So as you see the returning bridegroom, the bridegroom's future is depicted, a future agenda is depicted. There will be another day. There will be another time. Matthew 26 and verse 29 if I've gone too fast for you. Matthew 26 and verse 29. There will be another day. There will be another time, there will be another place, there will be another setting. There will be everything different, but everything will be new. And hallelujah, that day I'll be there, and so will you. Praise his name. The bridegroom's future agenda is depicted. The bridegroom's faithful appearance is declared. We are to be faithful in keeping this feast, what? Till he come. And brother and sisters, I don't need to come to Shiloh Hall in Cookstown and tell you, he's coming again. And he's coming soon. You know, this morning, I uh, look around this world. Ukraine. War in Ukraine. Wars and rumours of wars. And sorry, I intended to update you before I started. I'll just do it now when I'm talking about Ukraine. But you have, this morning, the, on Wednesday, the two ambulances arrived we have all the food the money has been sent out for food and all the rest of it and they're feeding the people in the still in the subways and the train stations and so on and as they feed them with soup and stew and those sort of things and others are ministering to them people are coming to the lord and thankfully so far and praise his name it will continue of the 14 areas where we minister not one shot nor bomb has touched any of our buildings or any of our people and we praise his name. The one thing I'd ask you to pray for at the moment is we have 35 people. We thought they'd have been here three weeks ago. I'm going to call a spade a spade around a horticultural instrument. The government and the civil service are absolutely useless. Yes. Amen, sir. But Israel, 10 days ago, brought in 10,000 Ukrainian Jews into Israel in one day. And dear knows what they've brought in since. And our government and our civil service can't get the paperwork done to bring 35. Disgrace. And the sad thing is that so many Ukrainians are frustrated with the British government. They're going back to Ukraine and they're getting into war zones. And the British government and the British civil service will have blood on their hands. Because people will get killed.
because they couldn't get their act together. So I'll ask you to pray about that. But enough of the rant. But he's coming again. The signs are there. War in Ukraine. I don't know if you realise there's over 30 wars in this world at this present time. Ethiopia. Syria. Yemen. The Mexican drug war. Just four off the top of my head. Famines. Yemen's about to tip into famine. And Ethiopia already is. Earthquakes. There's more earthquakes every day now than there was in the whole of the year 1900. Escalation. Yes, earthquakes in diverse places. And so we go on today. We've just lived through pestilence the last two years. Still wearing masks in the house of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming again soon, brethren. And we need to live in the light of it. And do what we can to reach others. So the bridegroom's faithful appearance is declared. The bridegroom's full affection is displayed. He says, but I say unto you in Matthew 26 and verse 29. He does not give the promise to this world. He gives it to his people. I say to you. Revealing his love and enduring attachment to his people. The returning bridegroom, the ruling bridegroom. At this future gathering, he will be both host and the bridegroom. And the determination of his kingdom is manifested. We read in Matthew 26 and 29, of my father's kingdom. There will be a kingdom unveiling his divine authority and power in his rule. And we'll be there. And I surely have something to look forward to, to see him ruling. The determination of his kingdom is manifested. The distinction of his kingdom is Mark. Mark and Luke render the words of the Father's kingdom as the kingdom of God. And it sets it apart again from other earthly kingdoms. What an eternity is before you and I to be with him for all eternity. And you have the determination of his kingdom, the distinction of his kingdom, and the dominion of his kingdom is magnified. In his first advent, the Lord Jesus Christ had to die. But in the second advent, the bridegroom will rule and the bridegroom will reign. Instead of a cross, hallelujah, the government shall be upon his shoulder. I notice it's singular, shoulder. When he found the lost sheep, where did he put it? Shoulders. I'm on his shoulders, but he can cover this world with one. Hallelujah this morning. The returning bridegroom, the ruling bridegroom and the rejoicing bridegroom and the Lord paints a picture of the future. It is not one of sadness, but one of gladness and joy. As we see the rejoicing bridegroom, he was joyful despite his departure. He knew the time of his crucifixion was not the end of him. And it was not the end for him and his disciples, but only a temporary separation. And he says in the book of Revelation 22 verse 20, Surely I come quickly. He was joyful despite the departure. He was joyful despite his dishonour. The ultimate rejection is before him. Shortly he will be despised and rejected of men. And let's call a spade a spade. Cookstown still despises him. Cookstown still rejects him. And if you come back to Cookstown or Lurgan or Donna Cloney or anywhere else this morning, they put him back on the cross. But this morning, he was joyful despite his dishonour. 
In Hebrews 12 verse 2, it tells us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So he was joyful despite his departure. He was joyful despite his dishonour. He was joyful despite his death. In Mark 14 and 26, it says, When they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And I told you at the time I did the, the Passover all those years ago, that they sing a hymn every year at the Passover. It's Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. And that's what they sang before he went out into the Mount of Olives. And it's sung in two stages. But the latter part is before he heads out into Gethsemane, he sings Psalm 118 verse 22. The stone which the builders refused has become the head of stone of the corner. Thank God this morning he has been and is the headstone of the corner of the church. Having sung about it, he goes out into Calvary and he fulfills the rejection. So brethren, every time we come to remember the Lord, the cross must be preeminent. But we also look to the heavenly bridegroom. And what lessons are before us this morning. And I've really only skimmed over the surface of it. I want to close with an illustration. A painter had just finished painting the Last Supper. And he'd taken great care to paint the face of the Lord Jesus Christ in exact detail. And the effort he put in to show the face of the Lord Jesus Christ at that supper. He made it the soul of the painting. And with great glory behind the face of the Lord behind him. As he was finishing his work, he was a street painter, a passerby came by. And he did notice his face, did not notice his face. But his hands, or sorry, his focus was taken up with the intricacies of the cup that was in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. Horrified that the man was taken up with a cup, he rushed with his brush and splashed the cup out, saying in horror to the one praising the cup, to think of it, to think of it, anything that would call attention from the Lord Jesus Christ is intolerable. Brethren and sisters, every time we come to this table, every time we come to this supper, every time we gather to remember the Lord, anything that calls our attention from him is intolerable. May that be our attitude as well. Trust the Lord will bless these thoughts to us as we've reminded ourselves of certain things about what we partake every Lord's Day. We're going to stand and sing 573, I think it is. Yes, 573, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain I count but loss and poor contempt and all 